Hi, and welcome to episode 25 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. On this episode, we have Kevin. Hi, guys. Sean Gonzalves. Hey, hey. And Ben Myers. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about indie games and the state of building games in South Africa. So welcome to the show, guys. Maybe as a way to tee it off, let's just uh, get a short intro from each one of you. Sean, do you want to kick it off? Um, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so I guess I've been actively making games for about four years now, on and off, depending on when I had time, so studying and everything. And recently I've become a lead artist at a company that some friends and a triple A game developer have kind of put together. And yeah, cool. And Ben? Uh, yeah, hi, uh, I'm Ben. I'm a game designer um, and sort of punk programmer <laughs> um, who just started a game development studio called Nyamakorp in uh, Brampton team. Uh, we making a sort of platformer where you can change your shape and size with yeah, ex- a AAA game developer who worked on Naughty Dog games like um, Uncharted and The Last of Us. So, yeah. Off the bat, I have to ask, AAA game developer? Uh, what does it mean? Yes. Um, it's sort of like those uh, AAA game developers, uh, game development is uh, what we used to refer to the really huge games like your your um, World of Warcrafts or anything with a big budget and hundreds of people we call yeah, AAA game development. So yeah, Last of Us, your Call of Duties, anything that's really, really big, AAA game development, yeah. That makes a, a lot of sense. So I'm not really okay. sure where the term came from, honestly. I just, yeah, just come, it's just there. <laughs> Probably rings back to that whole thing of AAA grade. Yeah, I think so. Probably. So I was thinking for tonight's chat, so let's assume I want to become a AAA game developer for the sake of conversation. We've got a lot of stuff to to work through to build up to that. So I guess an easy way into this is to ask, what does it generally take to be a game developer? software skills aside i think we'll we'll dive into the technologies and and programming languages and patterns and tools and stuff so forth but i'm sure there's more to it than just opening up some ide and starting to hammer out code uh yeah i think it, it really depends what you're trying to do i think the most important thing to do is just like decide what part of game development you want to try uh do so do you want to be a programmer do you want to be an artist do you want to be a game designer uh, and depending on those things you want to focus on different things um so if you want to be a programmer you should just yeah start making games start coding things uh, maybe write your own engine um, but to really start having uh uh, um, a whole collection of features you've implemented and stuff like that. If you want to be a game designer, again, yeah, you should just start making games, um, designing systems, um, trying out interesting mechanics, uh, designing levels, a lot of things. And there's quite a lot of difference between independent and AAA in terms of both those things. Um, so, yeah, you also need to decide do you want to be a AAA game developer where you go into a huge company and work on one a tiny set of features for a whole, you know, like five years, or do you want to be an independent game developer and make your own game and do all these different things, um, but, you know, have to do everything, basically. So those are the sort of things you have to think about, I think. I think another thing that's kind of, like, interesting about the whole AAA versus indie is that with indie game development, you'd be able to kind of um, generalize, I guess, you wouldn't be stuck to having you specialized to a specific skill. Whereas if you get into triple A, they'd want you to be specialized in that specific skill because they'd want the best person at doing that one thing. 
Yeah, definitely. So I guess that's our equivalent of being a, a full stack web engineer is to be the indie developer. Yeah, sounds like the whole thing of uh, the, the analogy of a full stack web developer being crossing skills from the front end and the back end. What would the kind of areas be that you would look at in game development? If you wanted to be a AAA, what, what, what are the general regions that, or the general subdivisions that you would highlight in game development be? Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a long list. It really is. Um, like game development is so collaborative. I mean, there's one. Can, can yeah. you give us sort of a ten thousand foot view of just what what the what the high level looks like, and then we can start d- diving into some parts of that. Yeah, I think the the biggest parts are the the technical side, the programming, the the game design, and the art side, and then the business side probably. Um, and under those, there's huge numbers of specialization uh, specializations and variations. Um, like writing, um, sound design, all these huge, yeah, things. Yeah, there's also sound design and music. Don't forget those ones. All right, everyone forgets those. I think they can make and make or break a good a good game. Proper sound design. Now I can imagine a lot of this comes down to attention to detail, uh, whether it's texturing or sound and audio in the game. The, the whole experience can be ruined by one thing that's just not given the right level of attention to detail. Yeah, and I think uh, that's what AAA really specializes in is that attention to details, like ridiculous amounts of um, attention to detail, like textures, no bugs, like crazy amounts of attention to detail. While uh, indie game developers usually focus on much smaller products that can be really polished, but are much more personal and smaller in scale. Yeah, So those are probably the biggest specializations of the two types. And also um, with AAA, they're kind of trying to, you know, sell their game to the mass market. So they have to have like the pretty game, the great sound design, all that stuff. Whereas with indie games, like Ben said, it's more like a personal thing. You're kind of just being more experimental in what you can do and testing out what like kind of games you can make and stuff like that. So it sounds like the route to being an indie game developer has a far lower barrier to entry. And I guess that's why we see so many of these uh, indie games cropping up around us. Um, some, some really great ones around. Now, what what is the barrier to entry uh, for an indie game developer? What kind of tools would I be looking at using? Um, I think the most basic thing you need is just the computer and internet connection. That's literally it. Because from having that, uh, like a decent computer, you can download free versions of most of these tools and make a game. Um, like most people are just using Unity, which is a game engine, which has a lot of pre-built stuff. Unreal Engine also has a lot as a free version, a lot of free stuff you can use. And you can make whole games in these free versions um, in just using C Sharp or C++ languages. Um, and then, yeah, you just hook up with an artist or someone and just you two people make a, a game together. So the barrier to entry really is like really, really low. And the lower it gets, the more people get into it. But obviously then sometimes the quality isn't as high as it could be. So... Yeah. Um, so I'd say you just need a computer and download Unity, Game Maker, Unreal, one of these game engines that they're like uh, everyone uses, and just start making stuff. It's a really low barrier to entry. What does a tool like Unity give? I mean, <clears throat> I'm naive in, I guess, saying, okay, there's an engine itself, there's an editor. Does it give you like a physics engine to help you do like? impacts and what do you call it, collision detection and can you throw 3d objects and polygons at it and it will just help you figure out how all this stuff moves or is there still a lot that you need to build on top of just the download 
Um, you still have to build a lot of the game, but a lot of these engines take out a lot of the, the low-level, really, really technical stuff that you have to worry about from game development in the past, like sort of figuring out how to render 3D objects, yeah, build your own physics system because Unity and Unreal have their own physics systems, particle systems have all these things. So a lot of these engines, yeah, they, um, they pre-build a lot of things for you. And because of that, it means it's a lot faster to actually making a game itself, focusing on the gameplay and the levels and so on and so forth. But sometimes that's also a bit restrictive because um, there's certain things you can't uh, do and so on and so forth. But because of the way Unity is built, it's very modular um, and allows you to sort of build on top of it a lot. So if you have a problem, you can just build a script or um, something that does it in the editor and then just build on top of it. So Unity is built in a way which you sort of adding on top of to this existing engine that has all these things like physics engines, particle systems, yeah, so on and so forth. So what kinds of genres of games would you be building with uh, with an engine like Unity or um, or Unreal? Do they do they fit into different genres? Or uh, I, I'm a com- I come at this as a complete noob, uh, having not worked with either of them. So if I wanted to build a strategy game, would I be using one of these engines? How? What's the entry point there? Um, I think you can. It, it depends on a lot of things, depending on which engine you want to use. Unreal uh, looks a lot more AAA. It has a lot of pre-built stuff that feels more AAA, like a lot more polished graphics and rendering and so on and so forth. Unity is a lot more flexible in terms of you can make a huge variety of games in it. Like um, there's a website called madewithunity.com and it shows off all the games that are made in Unity. I mean, um, you can make, there's people make, yeah, real-time strategy games, platformers, um, um, MMOs even. I mean, Blizzard made uh, Hearthstone, the card game, in Unity, actually. Um, so there's this huge variety of games you can make in Unity. And in Unreal, it's the same. Um, it's just a slightly higher barrier to entry, probably. Um, but yeah, if you want to go more AAA, it's probably better to use uh, Unreal. But honestly, the way Unity is going, it's just so easy to use. And the, the stuff they build on is really great, too. Another thing with there being like a really low barrier to entry is that there's an extremely large community of people who are constantly making things and uploading them to the internet. So a lot of like stuff you need for tutorials and all that stuff can always be found on YouTube. And I know Unity has a massive um, archive of stuff that you can go. So go look at if you need to try and figure something out, which is also really awesome and helps out with the whole development thing. And as Unity has progressed, have any of these things become outdated or would I, even if I see, if I come across an old video, would things still be relevant? Cause that's one of the frustrations when you're working with a, a framework, right? Is that, um, the framework may have progressed and matured over time. And you come across a blog post from five years ago that may do exactly what you're trying to do, but does it in the old way or suboptimal way? Um, ha- has unity and, uh, Unreal, have they been able to keep that kind of backwards compatibility to old uh, to old code? Um, I think uh, that problem does probably exist, um, but they because they're constantly updating. But Unity actually has a um, part of their staff uh, pretty much spends most of their time making tutorials for the engine. So if there's something you want to do, they've probably made an updated version. Um, but a lot of the f- stuff uh, is backwards compatible i believe but um it, it really it really uh, it's really not the hugest problem i think because that sort of stuff is often they move to a much better version of it often so i think 
that problem does exist, but literally the amount of content being generated is so huge that people will generate a new tutorial in that new version within no time. Like you literally can't believe how much stuff there is out there on Unity. If you Google, if you YouTube it now, it'll be like mind, a total mind explosion, you know? Sure. No, that that really sounds interesting um, that you've got these tools available to us that, well, the tools of the trade are so well established. Uh, I mean, apart from Unity and Unreal that we've been hammering on about now, uh, are there any others that that are worth really looking at, especially for a novice coming into this? Um, I think thing I definitely recommend for novices, um, but it's really programming light, is something called Game Maker Studio. Um, Game Maker Studio is very much a entry level tool for making games and also learning to code. It's sort of drag and drop interface, but there's also a Game Maker. Uh, there's also um, a coding interface, and Game Maker has a lot of pre-built stuff, even more so than Unity, and just it allows you to only make two D games really. But it just it's so fast to make stuff in, and it in no time you'll actually be seeing stuff moving on the screen and gameplay and stuff like that so i always recommend game maker studio just because it's so fast to be making your games i actually still prototype a lot of my games in game maker even though for long-term projects we always use unity and there's something else called a construct 2 which is also a similar idea um yeah so if i want to just prototype a, a game um, and i don't have access to a graphic designer or anybody that can like do anything with reasonable with Photoshop. Is there like similar to stock photos or, or like templates for websites or this kind of stuff? Is there like websites you can buy objects or textures and stuff that you can use in the games? Um, yeah, there's, there's two main options. There's a website called opengameart.org, I think. And there's basically just a huge dump of art you can go f- uh, get from there. And um, there's also the Unity itself has a... Um, uh, something called the Unity Assets Store, where they sell like coding assets and so on and so forth. And there's also artists who just drop in huge sets of assets that you can buy out there. But also, um, games are independent games specifically are moving uh, towards not necessarily needing uh, art made by uh, artists to make games. There's a lot of games that are actually made without a lot of art. There's a game called Thomas Was Alone about these. Um, artificial intelligences inside a computer and it's all made using abstract art so like squares of different shapes to represent different personalities there's something called the floyd's jelly which is also lots of programmer arts with like hectic bouncy and jelly like platforms so there's yeah there's two options you can look for stuff on the internet or you can just make stuff that's really pretty sort of program art using cool weird programming techniques um but generally what you should try to do is make a cool prototype of a game and then post it on a forum somewhere and often what happens is an artist season is like oh that's really cool i want to make this, and they'll start working with you so that's a really good way to go about it as well and um i guess okay that's really pretty cool i guess it would probably be similar stuff for for sounds as well i know there's huge amounts of free sound available legal free sound available on the internet so if there's open game art there's probably a similar thing for for the sounds that people can go hunt down exercise for the listener um another thing i wanted to ask we kind of mentioned in the prequel is uh and, and kevi picked this book on a previous episode on game designing patterns so and i guess that means more like software patterns so if you have these great tools that sounds like it's almost hiding away a lot of the stuff and you just need to bash out small snippets of code to string it together is there time and a place for all these 
big patterns or do you think that stuff that's reserved for triple A's or once you've got your game selling, do you then go back and start cleaning it up to make it more maintainable? Like what's that phase of the, of the development look like generally? Um, I think, so game development is such a new thing, especially in independent game development, that a lot of people, there's no like set answer to that question. Um, I, I, I think you definitely should be like programming in a scalable and long-term way, just because coding in any other way is going to be really frustrating long-term. I mean, you want to make sure that it's easy to add something to your system down the line. You want to make sure it's maintainable, all these things that... Um, you learn in general programming and game programming pattern also helps you do that essentially. Um, I think uh, what a lot of really effective game developers do is they prototype really quickly. So they they say, oh, I want to test out this mechanic and they spend like three days doing that and they try to not care about code at all. And they don't care about code, they just get the mechanic out really quickly and they say, oh, does this mechanic work? If it does, they go back and they um, make a you know, cleaner version maybe, or if it doesn't, they just throw away all the code. Um, and this stuff, that sounds really crazy from a development point of view, but when you're making really experimental games and products, you really need to know whether that thing will work. So the actual knowledge that that will work or will not work is often more valuable than the code you've written itself. Uh, so that's what a lot of people do. They go through this sort of really circular process of prototyping. Yes, no, okay, make uh, make a proper version of it. And that's kind of what we do in our team is, I mean, we have a guy who is a computer scientist. He knows what he's doing. He's read programming books. He's got a degree in it. So me and him, we prototype stuff. And then when we're done, I say, okay, good. he goes off and he makes it structured and beautiful and scalable and all these beautiful coding things. And I've got to ask then, when you get down to the question of performance and trying to eke out every last bit of uh, processing power from the machine, do you find that those kinds of patterns and keeping things in a, you know, keeping your code in a beautiful structure, does that tend to go out the window or does that complement the matter of then performance tuning your code? Um, I th- I'm probably the wrong person to talk about this stuff because our program isn't here, but I think generally what you want to try to do is make sure this is my general philosophy on game development is you want to make sure everything serves the game design essentially. So you want the game programming patterns to be there so that down the line, it's really quick to add something or it's really, uh, you make sure that the optimization of something doesn't affect the gameplay. Um, so everything you do needs to affect the gameplay. So if you have a, something you need, a bug you need to fix or something that falls outside of the programming pattern that you've chosen, but it really makes the game better, then you should totally go for it. Um, I think programming in those sort of patterns definitely does help you avoid issues. Um, but no matter what, you can't, um, you can't, you can't uh, totally avoid issues. It's just the way you program or find bugs. And that's the crazy thing about experimental and independent game development. You're making something that few people have made before. So you come across bugs and problems you've never seen before. So no pattern will really help you with that sort of problem. Um, but yeah, it does help you avoid, you know, optimization problems and so on and so forth down the line, I think. And how do you debug it? I mean, that discussion just kind of occurred to me. Do you just drop a breakpoint in and you get like access to the world if you've got to figure out why your character is running in midair or why this car could drive through a barrier like that must be difficult at least to me it looks like it should be mad crazy how would you debug a a fault in the physics engine or if your particle engine is screwing up 
Um, yeah, so yeah, you do uh, game development debugging is kind of like terrifying. Um, you just have to use breakpoints, deep, uh, sending logs to the debugger, crazy things like that. Um, there's something uh, in game development called a profiler, which you use to sort of um, deal with optimization and frame rate bugs, where you actually look visually in a sort of graph thing uh, that how much um, how much each thing is using. Um, so, you, so you see, oh, this part of the game is using this much memory. You're like, oh, okay, we need to go there and figure out what's happening there. So yeah, there's a lot of things you have to consider with game development uh, debugging, but it's, yeah, it's sort of normal debugging, I suppose. It sounds way more involved than normal debugging. No, I was just curious. It sounds also like the same kind of tools we would generally use, debuggers and log statements everywhere, tricks of the yeah, trade. pretty much. Nobody will admit it, though. They always know better. <laughs> so um, maybe to to chunk it up a bit. So we now have tools. We can build games. We can get some initial artwork. We can now involve people more talented than ourselves to make this thing look better. If we now want to start shipping a demo to people, is this something that you need steam for any kind of other content network or do you just throw this file on s3 and and send people a link in a forum how would i like get my mom to start playing my game if i want to um yeah so a lot of those engines i spoke about earlier have really good um tools for just like making exes really quickly like a lot of what they built around is really quick development so you just make a exe and it's quite easy to distribute to build uh, to web uh, windows and mac and even linux quite easily and quite quickly so you just do that and you can throw it on a um, dropbox or whatever but yeah one of the most important things for you to do in modern game development as an independent game developer is just get your game out to people and get a play tester so yeah come to a forum uh, a game development forum and post your games, get feedback about it. Um, there's one in South Africa called Make Games South Africa, um, which lots of people post their games and get feedback. So yeah, it's really important for you to get feedback really, really early, probably earlier than you think you should. Um, like before it's a vertical slice, like when it's sort of prototype, you should be getting feedback. Um, yeah. I guess that's true for most most software. Uh, fe- what's that, early feedback and fail fast? principles of agile software yeah. all of those just keep coming up yeah and if, if i want to if i think i've got a game worth making money from so i've now had it play tested a bit people have told me they like it this is like the next angry flying feathered animal what how do you go about monetizing it and actually getting something back for the effort because i don't think it's exactly a zero you know friday evening till sunday and you start making money walk us through that process a bit and what it takes yeah, I mean, I think that's a million dollar question, honestly. I mean, uh, oh, making how to make money of the game, yeah, <laughs> is like the hardest thing possible. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the biggest thing you need to do is if you're taking this seriously, you should be marketing it from the get-go. You should have a Twitter and a Facebook account and you're sharing development of the game from the get-go. You have a demo like three or six months afterwards. You try to put it into games festivals like Rage or NDK. There's a huge number of game festivals around the world. Try to get into a festival like that. Go if you can, um, talk to press, get them writing about your game, like doing early previews and stuff like that. Um, you have to really start marketing the game before it's released, like way before. I've seen so many brilliant, brilliant, like 
like change the medium of games sort of works that do terribly because no one knows about them. So you can't just release it and expect people to know about it and buy it. It just, it really doesn't happen. And if it does happen, it's a total like fluke, honestly. So yeah, the marketing is really important. And then in terms of the places you should be looking to go, Steam is probably the best one for PC just because it owns so much of the online um, sales market. And then yeah, the, the mobile store market's also really good, but they're terrifying because it's really hard to get discovered there. And unless you somehow get a featured on the app store, uh, on either app store, it's like, you're so unlikely you're gonna make money. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's really hard to make money off making games. And then in that line, I've just got to ask that indie game movie, how close to the truth is that? then in your experience because those guys also work themselves to death and there's one success story good one i think it's that meat meat boy that was the success story in the movie and then we saw eventually saw face came out but during the movie it didn't look particularly promising <laughs> um yeah so in the game the movie all three of those people were kind of like massive successes millions and millions of dollars um the game fez that's in that movie that uh winded up selling uh, over 4 million copies, which is kind of ridiculous um, for like two people making that game. So um, I love that movie, but it's not accurate at all, basically. Um, the success level of those developers is very rare, I think, for most people who make games. Also, um, two, of, two of the three of those people have been making games for a decade, which is about what you have to do to get that level of success, I think. Um, so at the same time, though, I completely empathize with like what they're going through in that movie. Um, like every time I make a game, I feel like that, like you struggle over whether your game's worth making, how the game design's going. Um, and this is all the stuff you worry about and you don't have this momentum behind you. Like they do all three of those games before they released had this huge hype and huge momentum that helped them like do really well. Um, so honestly, in the game, the movie isn't accurate, but it's like, that's what we're aiming for. That's what everyone who makes games wants to be. So it's cool. It's an ambition, I guess. I don't know. From my side, I think um, the stuff with Super Meat Boy, not like if you're talking about the success and everything and their, um, like how well the game did, I think their actual like state of mind and stuff like that is kind of towards the truth because I've seen a lot of developers in our industry that have been working on the same projects for like months and months and months. And you can actually see how it actually like um, puts a toll on their physical like you know abilities and their mental state where they you know do feel kind of alone and no one's there to help them type thing and i think that's one of the toughest things about game development is that it's really really difficult when you're in such small teams to like try and make something at such a big scale that we that people always seem to do like scoping is one of the hardest things to do in game development and when you're in such a small team you kind of see all these triple a games and then you're kind of like oh i want to be like that kind of and then you try and make something of that scale and then you don't realize how much like how hard it is i guess that's what ben was saying about two of them being um two of those people's in two of those people in indie game movie are being have been making games for like more than a decade they kind of know to what lengths they can push themselves because they've made so many other games before then so they know how to kind of scope themselves and what they can make whereas with the guys with super meat boy you could see they were making something really super ambitious just between the two of them and they were struggling so much I just remembered the other movie's name is Braid. Oh, yeah. the, other, the other game's name. And that guy struck me how amazingly calm he was compared to everybody else throughout the movie. But I d didn't think about the fact that he's been doing it for yonks. That makes a lot of a lot of sense. He actually, um, that guy, um, Braid, 
the guy who made Ray Jonathan Blow, he says a line in the movie twice, once at the beginning and once at the end, which I think really uh, like hits true to when you're making your own game. And he says, I wanted to see what happens when you put your most personal flaws and like emotions into a game, what happens? And that's what he made with that game. Um, and that's how it feels like you are your game. Like you are the thing you're making. So when you put it out there and people say, Oh, it's cool, but it's not really that cool. You're like, it's, it feels like that's a personal attack on you. So because it's so close to you, that's also, it just takes such a toll on you making that game. So I'm not really sure Super, Super Meat Boy is a really big game, but I think part of what Sean is mentioning isn't necessarily the scope, but also just like they're working on it 14, 16 hours a day because they're so terrified that it'll be bad. And that's them. That's bad. Not the game. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, Ben's right. I was kind of talking more about how much work they were putting in because they were afraid of like failing. Um, and you can kind of see it where uh, when they did release the game, they got, one of them, I can't remember exactly what his name was, was saying that yeah, he doesn't want to see any of the reviews. He doesn't want to have anyone tell him that the game is good because in his mind, he didn't think it was. Oh, those guys look beaten up at the end of that movie. Um, yeah. So that actually kind of leads. So I, I watched that movie at... There's this this program Vitz has every year. Uh, that's all the different game making stuff and a bunch of other arts festival. What's the name of that festival? Uh, Maze Festival. Yes, I had the privilege of seeing it there, and we've gone for a few years just checking that out. Now, I say that's fascinating. It's it's eye opening to see what everybody's busy doing, and I naively never even thought about it until I was there. You can kind of see people are packing out board games and card games and all kinds of other things building up to uh, and even interactive installation so how does that stuff tie in with the skills of, of building games is it good to test out your mechanics with a card game if it's possible or a board game um yeah i think the best the best thing you should do when you have an idea in your head is prototype and this ties into board games like prototyping is the best thing you can do because you're like oh i have this idea what if you had a bird and you flung them at pigs and you're like okay let's just test this idea is any good so you go and you make a prototype um and you do a prototype to see if that idea is worth spending like three years of your life on um so in any game the movie those people all decide that game those games are worth spending time on and really if you're going to spend that much time of your life on a game you want to know it's worth doing so one of the best things you can do is paper prototype so if you have a game that you can make um, with just a board game, you should prototype it that way because it's so quick, so easy, so um, it's much cheaper than making a digital product. Um, but also board games and digital games, they overlap quite a bit in terms of uh, game design because I don't make a lot of board games, but a lot of game designers swear by making board games and digital games because you, it really allows you to focus on the system. Like games are about systems, really. And digital games, you get distracted by a lot of stuff. You have to worry about the coding and the art and all the stuff. But board games are really pure. It's just purely the system and the elements. You just focus on that. And it allows you to look at and practice how people engage with the system, how they engage with each other. So just making board games really allows you to develop your game design skills specifically. Um, yeah. And I think generally, just touching quickly on the interactive installation thing, like games are actually a really big medium. They can encompass so many things. So you should just make crazy weird stuff if you can. I mean, at Amaze this year, there was a game which had like a spring on it and a strip of LEDs and it was called Line Wobbler. It was the it was a, a one-dimensional game. You played as one uh, little light going up against all these other lights and you just use the spring to move it up and down this thing. It was brilliant. It was so cool. Yeah. 
Wow, do you think it's a video or photos or something in that app on the May site? We could see it. Yeah, I will get that quickly. Awesome. And uh, other than Amaze, what kind of other forums or events are there for people to like physically interact with other game designers and come together and share? I mean, we have a lot of conferences and, and meetups and stuff that we go to. And I know one of our meetups, the developer UG, is I think it's on the same day at the same place as the Make Games one. So tend to bump into you guys there often. Like, where could people go if they want to like get their hands dirty? Or even if like just novices want to go see what it takes to make a board game or play a new game that somebody's prototyping. Um, I think uh, the best place to go in South Africa is probably Make Games South Africa or MakeGamesSA.com. Um, you'll find all the people making games in South Africa hang out there. They post prototypes. You see them talk about game design. You see these guys who are selling hundreds of thousands of copies of games, give you feedback on your game or talk about business. It's quite crazy that people share stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, just go to the meetups. There's meetups in Joburg and Cape Town, which you can find on the site as well. Yeah, come to the Maze Festival because the coolest thing about the Maze Festival is we get international game developers, independent game developers come to the festival every year and do talks and show their games and stuff. So that's also cool. Then Rage Festival every year, there's a little stand of um, a little stand of independent game developers. There's going to be probably a stand in the Rage happening in Cape Town. Also EGE, the Electronic Games Expo, is also a stand of independent games there. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. There's also an experimental games party in Cape Town called Super French Arcade. They make weird, bizarre games and they put them in a room, um, put loud music on and you can drink and play those games. So that's also a really cool thing to do. Yeah, there's lots of cool stuff happening in South Africa around games at the moment. Um, you also mentioned where can people go to get their hands dirty. Um, I think one of the cool things that Make Games does is they um, feature a lot of the international competitions for game jams and stuff like that. So um, they can. So if you go into Make Games and you see when the next game jams are, they'll put up like the places that people will be gathering together to kind of do these game jams, and you can actually go there and just meet up with people and start making games. Yeah, there's actually there's a game jam happening in this month. Yeah. Um, called Global Game Jam, which is the biggest game jam in the world. It's like thousands of people all over the world make a game in 48 hours over a weekend with the same theme. Um, yeah, and we have venues in Johannesburg and Cape Town, George and Pretoria, I think. Um, so if people want to get their hands dirty, they should just pitch up with whatever skills they have and try and make a game um, because that's the best way to do it. Make a game in a really short time period because it forces you to keep your scope super, super low. Where in Joburg is that... Venue. I mean, we've got to get links for everything else. Um, yeah, the venue is actually at Microsoft, yeah. So it's going to be at the Microsoft um, head offices in Johannesburg, yeah. That's where we host it. Wow, yeah. Timing's pretty cool. I didn't even know that's up. Yeah, that we, sounds yeah. brilliant. I, I was actually wondering about something like workshops or things like that that may be run. I mean, in the web dev space, we've got Rails Bridge that runs every now and then uh, where we specifically run a day of um, getting novices, people who haven't done programming before and get them into web dev. And although perhaps this may be a bit of a, um, a more high, a higher pressure environment with there being a, this 48 hour deadline that you're try, trying to build your game. I can imagine that you would have some, some good people around there who'd be able to teach and lead people through the process of making a game. Is that, is that a, the kind of place where someone who's a, a fairly new newbie to programming can go and start learning or are there better kind of workshop environments that uh, people can attend 
Um, I think uh, for me, I, I grew up making games in game jams. Like that's how I learned to make games. Um, so I definitely recommend game jams because they give you a really uh, real example of what making games is like. Um, and the thing is, um, the, your games you make in that time period will be so bad when you start. They'll be terrible, right? But you're surrounded by all these other people making terrible games. Um, and they play each other's terrible games and it's awesome and you love playing each other's uh, terrible games. So you're all there together making terrible games and learning how to make better games over time. So if, I think it's game jams are perfect because they scale. Like if you're really new to game development, they're the best because you meet other people making games, you get advice and feedback from people making games and you get to make a game in a short time period with people around to help you, which might take you a lot longer in another way. If you're more experienced in programming or game development, it's also great because a lot of people use game jams as the prototyping of the next game that they might make for a long period of time. So yeah, game jams are awesome. I mean, uh, Broforce, which is one of the biggest South African games out there, I was at the game jam that that was made at, and it was like so awesome to have seen, like, oh yeah, I was at the game jam where that was made. So it's yeah, it's game jams are the best. Let's do it. So Kenny, are we are we signing up for this next one? I might just go walk around and see first. So <laughs> <laughs> I first got to see if I can move some pixels around. I've never ever tried this. It's a completely foreign world to me. All I know is a run loop, and that's it. Does Game of Life classify as game development? <laughs> well, it's a zero-player game. I guess it's a cheat. <laughs> Just uh, change some, have some way to uh, how they move around. Yeah, it's a game. I guess you're right. So I wanted to ask if, if there's any like South African success stories that you guys want to uh, call out by name. I mean, it doesn't need to be exhaustive. So you mentioned Broforce as one that you saw at the sea. It's like sword coming up out of nowhere is there any other good ones that we should know about that we should go play that we should go buy to support local developers um yeah sean will cover my gaps if i forget any i'm sure but um broforce is like definitely the biggest one it's like yeah five hundred thousand copies sold their free version of that game's over two million downloads called expender bros um desktop dungeons and that's african game one uh like igf award which is like the oscars of game development um for sort of cleanup detail of all the uh, versions of that game, they've had over 1.7 million copies downloaded. Um, all this on Steam. There's also Stasis, a point-and-click game. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff out there in South Africa. And if I want to discover some more um, that the local game devs have been working on, are, are there any... I mean, you've mentioned the forums and things, but things that are kind of complete, ready for, for, uh, for people to download and buy... Um, is Steam the best place to go? Or should I be looking on mobile app stores? Um, yeah, I think South Africa's probably, most of the game developers do focus on PC. And there's um, there's a cura- uh, Make Games South Africa, the, the forum and association of game developers, has a, a curating thing on Steam, a group, where it's curated all the South African games on Steam. And has like somewhere, I think it's like 40, somewhere 40, between 40 and 50 games on Steam that are South African you can go check out. And they're all pretty damn good quality um this was back in the day when it was really hard to get on steam so a lot of these are really high quality products and is it easier to get on steam and the different platforms now than it used to be uh yeah it really is um it used to be that you had to know someone at valve the company that runs steam and sort of had to make a deal with them or you had to win an award that had a deal to get onto steam and it used to be that if you're on steam you're guaranteed to make money that's just how it worked because there was such a low 
quantity of games on Steam. If your game went on there, you'd make like a lot of money. But now they're really trying to automate the process of putting games on there. So they have something called Steam Greenlight, where you basically put your game on here on the on the on the 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 on the on the on Steam itself, and then the audience votes on it and says, "Would I uh, vote on whether they would play that game?" So they say, "Yes, I will play this game." And if you get enough votes at a certain level, um, it automatically says, "Oh, okay, you can be on Steam." And then whenever you're ready, you can just put your game on Steam. And that's just opened the floodgates of people who can put their games on Steam. So it's no longer guaranteed anymore. They shall make huge amounts of money once you get on Steam. Um, but it's also good because more people can put their game on Steam now. But it also means um, a lot of people are less, are more wary of what they're buying. So there's more games, but there's also people who are more wary. So it's harder to make money. Yeah, it's, it's a catch-22. More people can get on, but you can make less money on average, probably. Yes, that's a curse of any app store now uh, that you need to try and yep. try work to be featured or really get some media attention if you really want to make money off that. It's not just a matter of because it's, uh, it's not an exclusive list of um, or a limited list anymore. Yeah, exactly. But far more, there's far more competition there. Guys, I think we're getting pretty close to time. Um, Kenny, do you have any other points you want to bring up or any other questions you want to ask the guys? No, I think we covered quite a nice broad swoop. Uh, so for my side, I think it's it's really good. It was so insightful. Thanks, guys. It demystified it a bit. It cleared up the fog of war, so to speak. So <laughs> it makes it easier to go look for the, the different resources now. So I don't know if you guys have anything else to to add that, that's important that we missed. Uh, no, I don't think we missed anything. I'd just say, like, if you're interested in making games, you should just start. Like, this is probably the golden age of independent game development we're in so that the next 10 to 20 years we're currently in it right now where people with barely any programming experience are making these amazing things so if you have programming experience already it's going to be yeah it's going to be you have a bit of an advantage you just need to like make sure you're learning a lot about game design and focusing on how your gameplay works and your mechanics and stuff and just start making it if you start now in five years, you'll be able to make something that can make money and maybe you'll be able to do it full time. So just start now and be embrace how bad your games are and then embrace them getting better very, very slowly. <laughs> cool. And I think with that, I think we can start heading into some picks. Uh, Kenny, do you want to kick us off with that? Sure. I've got a two. The first one is the Humble Bundle. I'll give a link for that to the show notes, but it's a, these guys... Uh, work with different publishers to give games out in little bundles. It's one of those you choose what you want to pay, but they end up giving a lot of money to charity. It's actually a big fundraising thing. And from time to time, there's some good games in there, and then you can like pay more than a threshold to unlock even more stuff and art and soundtracks to download. I've got all the games from the indie game movie over different humble bundles over time and some other good games. And if you're willing, they even have a monthly sub or weekly sub that you can get weekly bundles. It's a great service. And then another one, I can't recall if we've picked this before, but a buffer, buffer.com or bufferapp.com. It's a great like social media canon. And like Ben was saying, you need to promote your stuff aggressively beforehand. Buffer can be a great way to just queue up a ton of posts in advance and have them fire off and, and create some buzz about your things uh, we use it for all our podcast social blasts and interactions it's a fantastic tool those are my two 
Yeah, Kenny is our public manager, uh, public relations manager. So any complaints, please direct it at him. Dave, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, the bit bucket. Uh, ben, you want to go next? Have you got anything you'd like to pick for the audience? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, two games, I guess, and then so I'll share those first. Um, the first is called Thomas Was Alone, which is a sort of platformer game where I mentioned earlier where all the art is rectangles. Um, and this sounds really terrible, but he managed to make this really beautiful narrative game about you know rectangles in a machine trying to figure out who they are and what they're doing. So if you want some inspiration to make a game that doesn't need art, check that out. Um, second thing is Forest Jelly, which is also another game which is mechanically amazing and brilliantly beautiful and has very little in terms of art actually made by an artist. It's very abstract. It's very... Um, it's very clever. The only thing that's really beautiful, uh, crazy about this is the way he uses color palettes. Um, so it's really another example of our programmer can make something really beautiful without a lot of art experience. Um, and then the final pick is something called Lundare, ludumdare.com, um, which is a, um, a community of people who game jam like once every three months. And it's really awesome because you make a game and then people give feedback in your game um and yeah it's awesome it's the best thing you'll ever do you'll feel so depressed because you made a shit game and then people will be like oh this is awesome that's so cool yeah so if you want to make games you should try that out as well very cool very cool sean anything you want to add to that um yeah so going on to the other side of things considering i'm an artist and everything um if you want to start getting into kind of making art for games and stuff like that um there's two softwares i think gimp is free if you want to get kind of like a photoshop type software that you that's open source and everything and you can start making 2d assets or if you're more inclined to making 3d assets you can get something called blender which is definitely open source and free to download so yeah cool um then from my end I've got something, well, at the Ruby Fuser conference this year, I know Daniel Smith is going to be talking about using OpenGL with Ruby. So if you want to start looking at graphics programming at that level, uh, make sure you get into the conference. He has prohibited me from giving any more detail than that away. So just make sure you're there. There's some interesting stuff happening. And yeah, I think that covers it. Guys, thanks. That's episode 25 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Uh, please subscribe on iTunes, leave us, leave us a review and we'll catch you next week. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. And cut. <laughs>